Greetings, my nerds, and welcome to the Northwest Nerd Podcast, where we cover pop culture, science, and technology with a Pacific Northwest focus. My name is Nick Jarin. And I am one with the force. The force is with me, Dioxley. On today's magazine episode, we celebrate Halloween with a spooky story of the children who haunt Seattle's Pike Place Market. Then we'll get into some nerdy headlines, including the final trailer for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and a new Minecraft installation at Mopop. Then we'll wrap things up with our recommendations for your nerdy viewing. And spoiler alert, mine this week is Watchmen on HBO. Can't wait to tell you more about it. Perhaps you've heard of it. But first, let's take a trip down to Pike Place Market. Walking around Seattle's Pike Place Market, you might not notice them. I mean, among the shops, the buskers, all the smells of fresh food and flowers, not to mention the many tourists who are lining up to get into the original Starbucks location, maybe get a view of that famous fish toss. So, yeah, among all of this, people may have seen them, but they probably didn't realize what they were actually seeing. Well, I think that's what's interesting about a place like the Pipe Place Market. I think that people there probably interact with other realms quite often and don't even notice it because of all the activity down there. So in my mind, they're seeing it just like I'm seeing you. So what they are seeing here, according to Mercedes Caraba, are ghosts. Many of the shop owners, the people who live in this close-knit community, will testify that Pike Place Market is haunted. Very haunted. With more than a hundred years of history, the area where the Pike Place Market is has amassed a collection of souls. But perhaps the one feature that sticks out are how many ghostly children are still running along the wooden walkways of Pike Place Market. Down in the lower levels, there's like a cluster of young children that people see, um, quite young, like three to eight, and um, wearing white and sometimes like a black smocks, kind of not shorts, but, you know, shorter pants. And they, they seem to be in disarray, like not necessarily clean or healthy. Um, and they definitely look like from a period that's without neon. There is one particular ramp where a lot of these children have been seen. And for a lot of reasons that we are not quite fully certain about, that ramp seems to be the locust of the sightings of child ghosts. This is Chris Last, who today leads ghost tours, relating the history of the market and the paranormal stories that have piled up over all the years. And this ramp is also not far from a shop where other child ghosts are seen, including perhaps the most famous ghost in the market. So famous, he gets his own room. Jacob is probably the most known as for one of the ghosts in the market in general. And he is in Mary Tales, which is a shop on the lower levels of Pike Place Market. But before we get to Jacob and all these other children, it's important to know exactly why this one area of Seattle has collected so many lingering souls. So in the city of Seattle, early graveyards have been moved three, four times. 
Um, and one of them was very close to the Pike Place Market. And that's one that the land itself, to me, seems to still carry the energy because it is certain that not all the graves were moved. There's early accounts of people going in and foraging in, in indigenous grave sites in the early 1900s that were around Second and Stewart. Mainly, if you were someone of wealth or importance, then you were moved. And if you look at early Seattle's history, you do see this racist sentiment toward Chinese, toward African Americans, toward Native Americans. And um, there's very few of those graves today. So you have to wonder where people were moved. Or if they were moved at all. Mercedes began researching the history of the land where Pike Place Market is today because, in a way, it's also her personal story that has become intertwined with it. She lived there herself for many years and ran a business there too, Ghost Alley Espresso. Her father, Michael Yeager, was the one who initially started retelling the many tales of ghosts from around the market. Mercedes turned it into the market's official ghost tour sometime after the turn of the millennium. She took the time to actually look up the history behind what people were experiencing. So for me, I think of land and intention. For instance, if you... Um visit Notre Dame in Paris. Walking in there, you can almost feel the gravity and the faith of the people over, you know, all this time that there's been prayer in that building. I feel that. And to me, that's an imprint. So around 1st, 2nd, Stuart in Virginia, I believe that there is an energy that remains from those early grave sites. Not to say that it's going to be a scary negative energy. I just believe that there's an energy in the land itself And that energy, according to Mercedes, remains. Many different groups of people moved through this one area. Some settlers, some en route to the Klondike Gold Rush, and others, they went there to die. I came across some health records from 1918 and 1919, which is when the flu pandemic hit Seattle, and it was really horrendous. This flu outbreak was one of the deadliest global epidemics in history. The flu killed within three days. So imagine you're a father or a mother, you've got three kids, and your three-year-old contracts the flu. Instead of risking your entire family, the city did provide quarantine areas where children became wards of the state, and they were taken care of and passed with grace. And some of those quarantines were surrounding the area that I'm talking about in the market. And I predominantly think that the children people see are from that time period. There were signs left over. The people who now own Kell's Pub found one of them around 1999. When they're renovating the building, part of that exists underneath the sidewalk on First Avenue, and they were going behind and cleaning out areas, and they discovered um, what what could be called a tomb in a way, I think, because they found uh, urns with cremated remains of children from 1918 and 1919 with no name, no family name, uh, all under the age of eight. Rumor has it that it was about 100 urns that were found here. And aside from all this, the YMCA also ran an orphanage in the market area around 1900 or so. Generation after generation, children have always ran and played through the market. And they still do. A few years ago, Mercedes sold her coffee shop. 
She handed over the ghost tours to the nearby theater. That's where Chris comes in. He's with Unexpected Productions, which now leads the ghost tours through the market. And he's taken over the role of maintaining the ghost stories from this community. Such as the stories of all the children who are seen near the haunted ramp and elsewhere in the market. Well, Kells um, has a young girl that people have seen. They describe her as having red hair and she's often on the stairs. So in the former daycare, which happens to be right where all of these ghosts are seen um, and has now moved, that daycare uh, was opened in the 1980s. And there's all sorts of stories of the children having imaginary friends, which isn't too unusual. It is unusual when the imaginary friend has the same name. So Ernie was an imaginary friend of one of the children uh, early on in the preschool that this child played with. And then the year ended, the child left, and children came back in. New kids, right? Uh, And those kids started playing with Ernie. And it sort of continued like that. There's an account of one of the teachers closing the door one night and seeing a little brown-haired boy kind of hide behind a desk. She went looking for this little boy and, and didn't find anything. And that night she was so concerned she called the security guards in the market and they walked through the space as well. There was a cleaning lady at the time and the cleaning people in the Down Under, uh, they spend a lot of the time essentially by themselves in almost the quiet. And anybody that comes and goes in the Down Under, they see it. And uh, the woman that cleans those floors stopped them and said, you know, you don't need to look any further. I know what she's talking about. There's a, there's a little brown-haired boy about this tall that's in the child care. I see him at night. And then she proceeds to spill her guts about a series of experiences that she had had inside the Down Under of witnessing a child ghost, uh, a particularly mischievous child ghost that she described as going from store to store and frequently stealing things. She, though, adds a detail uh, of this ghost child that the teacher hadn't noticed, which is that this child had no eyes. Um, yeah, this, this little boy with no eyes that's down in the market. And if you walk just up the stairs from that location, you will find a store called Mary Tales. It's right next to Golden Age Comics. Mary Tales is a boutique specializing in items for pet owners. It also has a ghost. His name is Jacob. This kind of composite that is Jacob, it just comes from all the different owners and all the different people that have experienced things in that shop. And they believe that he's a young boy, probably preteen. People think that he might have worked in the stables, which were adjacent to the building. Before 1973, this shop space was a federal post office. And after that, it was converted into a bead store. We think that Jacob might have a, a passion for marbles or for shiny things. One, one group of owners that had the bead shop, Rom and Nina, they would constantly find the beads in different baskets, like the colors messed up, or occasionally things would actually go flying across the room. There's a great story about a woman that worked for them. She was wearing this blue dress, and she was looking for a beaded necklace to wear for the day. And as she's walking around, this necklace pops off a hook on the wall, drops to the ground, and it's the same blue as her dress. And... Well, Jacob has a good eye, obviously. It didn't take long for the current residents of the shop to notice that there was more to this space than they could see. So they would lock up, they would leave for the night, they would come back the next day to find the store, like displays knocked over, things knocked off of shelves. 
and no sign of a forced entrance and nothing stolen. So they start to get wise to what I think a lot of people were quite aware of. There was, there was a child ghost there. And things got even more mysterious when they made a startling discovery. They parked down in the old parking lots and they're crossing Western Avenue. You can kind of look up and you can see all the, all the back windows of all those shops that are in the down under portion of the market. And they look up to the windows of Mary Tales and they notice something that they hadn't noticed before, which is that it turns out Mary Tales has two extra windows. So with some trepidation, they run upstairs, they unlock the gate, they go down the ramp, turn the corner and through the curtains into the storage room to the back wall. Upon closer inspection, the back wall really wasn't much of a wall at all. It was thin, a type of drywall material, just enough to seal off the end of the closet. So they get a skill saw and they cut a portal through, like a person-sized portal, and push through the wall and enter a room, uh, an empty room. Okay, so you gotta understand. So they find a room this is all prime real estate, like market space is very precious. And they basically find, uh, you know, it's not a huge room, but they find this spot of their store that gets walled off from everything else inexplicably. It's an odd little room. It's almost sort of pie-shaped uh, with two windows at the far end and a low ceiling. And they enter in. It's essentially empty, except they notice near the window a row of beads that's meticulously lined up and then just left there. An awfully strange coincidence that this store they have that seems to be a favorite place of this ghost child to kind of like terrorize them um, just happens to have like a secret room that's walled off from everything else. <sighs> Wanna bet Jacob lives in here? Uh, what do we do now? So they eventually concoct a plan to make peace with Jacob. They go and they get a, a, a crib. It's like a little doll crib. And they fill it up with toys. And they take it in through the portal and into the room. And near the window, they set the crib down and they leave it. And they exit the room and they get back to work. And it works. It works in that Jacob doesn't bother the displays as much as he used to. School groups that are coming to the market already for field trips suddenly start to want to make a stop into Mary Tales. And so for years, they've been like huddling these little school groups back through the storage area into this weird little room to, to see Jacob's, his little crib with his toys. Um, there's an altar with toys and notes that children in Seattle have been bringing to Mary Tales to give to this little boy ghost. And he's still very active. You can go in and talk to the owner or to the people that work there. He's mischievous, you know, he moves things around. They'll come back after in the morning after closing the night before and in the walkway and the entry to the shop, there'll be like a large stuffed animal just placed there for them to find. Or they'll see a shadow going in the room, like the shadow of a young boy, but nothing is casting that shadow. The, the thing that I, I appreciate about the story with Jacob too is that he's clearly trouble, but he's still a relatively benign spirit. I think he's just, 
He's a kid trying to find peace somewhere in this strange little world that is the market. There are more scary ghosts than Jacob, but Jacob, I think, is definitely, he's, he's definitely part of the market family. The annual Halloween feature is perhaps my favorite tradition that we have here on Northwest Nerd. Four years running now, four seasons of the of the show, and we always do some type of ghost or haunting story around this time of year, and it always creeps me out. <laughs> like, like, never fails. Never fails. I'm the type of person who, and if people have listened to our other Halloween stories, I'm the type of person who doesn't believe in ghosts until I do. <laughs> I think that's the you attitude know? of everybody on the show. Yeah. Because I, I talk with Brandon about it, and I talked with uh, talked with you about it a little bit. And even when I was interviewing Mercedes, I just want to said I want to let you know I do this every year. Obviously, it's on Halloween for a reason, but I want to respect you know you know because people actually do believe and put a lot of weight into a lot yeah. of these stories. Uh, and they do definitely down at Pike Place. There are a lot of stories that are down there that I couldn't even touch or get into in the story. Um, there is a, a woman who used to work at a barber shop that's there. There's apparently some funny business that goes uh, on in a meat uh, refrigerator somewhere. Oh, um, and then Kells. Both building- of those things already sound like like horror movies, by the way. Like you got yeah. like a Sweeney Todd type situation. Right. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And then uh, meat refrigerator. I mean, just just fill in the blank. Like that's every Saw movie. <laughs> okay. You had to throw that one on there now. Yeah, um, <laughs> but no, Kells Building alone. Yeah. Um, Kells Pub is the is the business that's inside of it. Uh, apparently, depending on how you look at history, either this person was Washington's one of Washington's earliest serial killers, or it was one of Washington's earliest quack doctors who hmm. thought starving people was a panacea. So. Basically, she operated out of there uh, some of the time, killed a lot of people by starving them to death. Uh, that happened in there. There was a mortuary that was in there. Uh, today, one of the floors is entirely closed off at Kells because apparently it's just too weird uh, and makes people really uncomfortable. But the second floor that you can Too haunted to work in. Too haunted to work in. Yeah. Uh, that second floor, on the stairs up to the second floor, that's where that redheaded child is uh, seen, that girl. And then when you go up there, apparently there's a, a ghost of a woman who used to frequent the place quite a bit, and she dances around while people are just kind of drinking up there and doing stuff. Apparently somebody just dances through kind of like the crowds. That's the ghost, and nobody oh really... <laughs> exactly. Uh, and other people just wonder, like, why is a kid on the stairs in a pub? And nobody just questions it. But yeah, so much stuff goes on. <laughs> and the thing that the thing of this story that always lingers with me ever since Mercedes told us is that because there's so much stuff going down in the Pike Place market, you've probably seen something, but you didn't know what you were actually seeing mm-hmm. because it's just going on. It reminds me of like uh, House. Uh, I always screw up this name. Not House on Haunted Hill. Haunted Hill House. Hill House. That old classic ghost Some story. combination of those words. Yes. Yeah. Um, but in the-, in the Haunting tele- of Hill House? Haunting of Hill House. There we go. In we that show, if you went back and watched it, you took some folks like me, it took a while to actually figure it out, but the ghosts were always in this the frame somewhere. You just didn't realize it. Oh. They were 
in a reflection in a glass or they were under like a ladder when someone was going in it. They were always there. They just weren't in your face. I kind of feel like maybe that's Pike Place Market. These yeah. ghosts are always there. You just maybe don't realize it. One last story I'll tell you. Uh, they did bring in some like ghost hunters and they put up a bunch of their equipment over the night. And at one point they were in one level of Pike Place and they heard running above them on the upper level. Like, uh, you know, petter patter, blah, blah. And then they went up and they checked the tape for that. And, you know, you can go through tape and audio and, you know, boost some sound frequencies and lower others. And eventually, when right at the moment where somebody uh, is running by the microphones and yeah. no one was there, supposedly they got the voice of a child saying, I'm trying to catch him. <laughs> I'm not even being hyperbolic when I say I just had a chill go through my body. It was my whisper. It was, it was very effective. I'm uh, trying to catch him? I'm trying to catch him. Dang. Super fun story to do. Yeah. God. I, it, like I said, my favorite tradition here. Um, the show's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. love doing the show. Let's do a little bit more and uh, get into the news. All right, Dyer, I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with the biggest nerd news of the week from the biggest nerd fandom of every uh, December, Yeah, which is Star Wars. The uh, the Rise of Skywalker, the final installment of the Rey and Kylo Ren trilogy, is coming out this December, December 20th. Um, tickets are already on sale, which is baffling to me because it is October. Um, that is crazy. Yeah, it's so far ahead of time. But the final trailer premiered on Monday night during Monday Night Football because Disney owns everything. And let's <laughs> let's let's play a little bit break, of it. Break, break that down for people real quick because it it really is like this media owns media owns media thing, right? Yeah, like it basically the the family tree goes you have down at the at the bottom or the top depending on how you draw trees. Mhm. <laughs> Monday Night Football, which is ESPN. ESPN is owned by Disney. Disney owns Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm is Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars it's is- all in the family. Yeah. The Rise of Skywalker. They own everything. Eight. So let's, let's play a little bit of the trailer, and then uh, we can react to it a little bit. Okay. Long have I waited. And now. gotta say one of the only takeaways of this thing that i really really enjoyed was the fact that they're definitely redoing the theme music quite a bit Mm. in a way that does make it feel new yet nostalgic and epic it's got a lot more brass than it used to they re-epicked the epic i guess is what i'm trying to say so i guess that was my first initial takeaway listening to music what about you it is nice that they've they found a way around just to talk like just the trailerness of it, they found a way around the uh, the the plague of just bong from that's that's yeah. happened ever since the Dark Knight and all of the Christopher Nolan movies. Like Inception, I think is probably the birth of that thing. The Hans Zimmer just one just one note happening. 
they found a way around that via this John Williams score, and I absolutely love this trailer for that. That's the uh, THX thing, too. I don't know. There's a great... Um, and I'm going to totally... Even the tweet THX this one, like, it, it, like, it fades in, though, doesn't it? But it was different every time, because it was one of the first things... Oh, was it things, a different note every time? It was one of the first... Uh, things that they use kind of computer sound technology to create kind of a sound and they wanted to like totally promote this is the sound of the movie theater and you get the system in mm. your and so every time they did it the computer there was no way to like recreate it the same way every time so all these different notes would be played all at the same time like an orchestra you know tuning. kind of tuning up and it was just and then that was the THX sound that was so iconic and signature of it there's a great podcast, I'll tweet it out later, that actually has the history of that one sound oh, and all cool. the work that went into it. Um, like Michael Jackson got a tour of like Lucasfilm Studios, one of the first people ever to hear that sound. Yeah. Like there's a weird history that goes along with that entire thing. But anyway, that is a complete non sequitur. Um, <laughs> y- so your imp- <laughs> what was your impression after watching this? Uh, I'm assuming not during Monday Night Football. Yeah, I haven't watched a minute of football yet this year. I, I had a couple different reactions to this. One, I was excited to see Carrie Fisher, um, and we heard a little bit of her voice in that clip of the trailer that you played, and I'm excited to see how they send off the Leia character, and I'm excited to see how they bring back Darth Sidious after having basically Darth Sidious Light, um, Supreme Leader Snoke, get killed last movie. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen like one of the biggest <laughs> movies of the past couple years. And then uh, finally... I'm excited to see that they show this amazing lightsaber duel between Rey yeah. and Kylo Ren on what looks like a dam on some type of water planet. And I am very into that because the one thing that Star Wars has above all other sci-fis and fantasies is its ability to do spectacle on a level that makes you want to see it in a theater. I am very glad that you brought that up because this trailer, the one thing I wrote down here was best visuals yet. And that I don't think I recall seeing a Star Wars trailer that has really displayed this before. There was also a scene with some kind of ice formation in space, mm-hmm. all the ships coming together that I like you haven't seen outside of like Star Trek. You know, like there was more yeah, visual spectacle amazing. Yeah. going on. Um, and woven throughout all that spectacle, it seems like they're really and this is true for all the Rise of Skywalker trailers, they're really banking on nostalgia. I think they are really going for a feeling that harkens back to those original three films in the 70s and 80s, more so than any other. This is not the newest Star Wars. This isn't the continuation of Star Wars. This is get ready to feel like you were when you first saw A New Hope in those three films because that's what they're shooting for with this. Um, And I felt I still had that feeling there, and not just because it looks like they're bringing back the emperor they're definitely doing an emphasis on that emperor lingering somewhere yeah it seems like he's in some kind of floaty chair in a scene the one thing you did see but they're not showing him which almost makes me like suspicious that either he's not really there or somehow the cgi is really really bad and they just don't Mm. want to show it to you or something two other things that i noticed one was the moment that ray and kylo are knocking down vader's altar and uh you know because you remember like uh, Kylo had kind of like the old helmet of Darth Vader mm-hmm. in that stand. It looks like they, maybe they knock it down in the middle of a lightsaber fight, and then it looked like they both purposefully were hitting it together, right? In that in that moment, not like 
a casualty of the fight, but they both were like, we need to get over this if we're going to Exactly, which brings me to kind of my other uh, and last point that I noticed is that the, the other trailer had more of an emphasis on kind of like uh, Ray of the Dark Force, you know, a red lightsaber, wearing dark clothing instead of light. Star Wars has always been very, very straight in your face of whoever's wearing like light or dark clothing is probably how good or bad they are, right? Yeah. And so... I mean, uh, it was a little bit of those themes going on, yeah. you know, and so I didn't see that in this, which makes me think that maybe that's just another one of these visions that they're going to throw out there. And then it was all a dream. It definitely seems like Ray is not interacting with a ton of the cast. Yeah. seems like she's off doing her own vision quest thing with Kylo Ren, possibly chasing her around, trying to recruit her. Yeah. And then things are happening elsewhere where the, uh, the, Rebels, they're rebels again because yeah. they lost power. Uh, are fighting the? Uh, are they still the first order? This is where like Star I Wars kind they, of falls apart for me. Where, like the politics don't make any sense. Well, technically, they took down the leader of the first order, but but Kylo's now Kylo Ren is the, yeah. up, so maybe he can make it the second order. The second. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it does get a little sure. confusing. The that's the thing that I'm a little worried about with this film. I'm worried about that part making sense it seems like jj abrams is just gonna force like a bunch of toys into the same area so that he can have his big beautiful battle and then ray is the one actually carrying the emotional ballast of right this, of well this movie. the one thing i think that really got me with the last film that they could have pulled back on is that it seemed like they were doing too many storylines woven into one film and they were all good storylines but it was just so much that I'm wondering if a, a lot of audiences I think are going to get lost. Their attention span is just like where? Oh wait, Finn, Finn was at the at the casino, but now wait a minute, was was uh, Ray at the the new planet with the hermit Luke Skywalker? And then wait a minute, what was going on with the? Oh, that's right, they don't have fuel to do another light jump, and and it was almost like this just this weaving that was going on that. I'm hoping they don't get lost too much into, and like kind of like you said, everybody kind of comes together at one place. I think the one thing we can count on from this, like being a return to the J.J. Abrams Star Wars, is that the story will be either very simple or very familiar. So far, all they've done very is very easy to follow. All, all they've done is copy the original three. So, like, it, I disagree because I think that the Last Jedi had a lot going for it that the original three did not want to touch on at all. Like, yeah, the Last Jedi had things to say about well we've been having these star Wars for so long. Yeah. Who's actually being hurt by that. Who's being helped by that. Why do we have this perpetual war machine that just churns out clones and death and who's actually profiting from this and things like that. Like I appreciated that about that movie and it's something that the other ones haven't really gotten into in the past. Yes. I guess more what I was, what I'm kind of speaking to is just more like kind of plot point and narrative. So like the first film is unknown child on a desert planet has to go off and discovers there's something going on. And that goes on. And then the second one, you know, like in, in Empire Strikes Back, it's it has a, a giant white planet. In this case, it's ice. They have trench warfare. And then, you know, Luke has to go off to find a Jedi hermit someplace to do training. In this case, Ray goes off and finds a Jedi hermit named Luke and gets training. And then both of them left because they sensed their friends were in trouble. And then in the next film, they switched it up because at the end of that film, it was also a white planet with trench warfare, but this time it was salt. And like, 
there's even the same like walk into darkness like luke's journey into oh, the, the into the, 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 the forest vision. is the same thing yeah the vision yeah so like i'm worried that maybe with this film they're just going to copy return of the jedi which return of the jedi was luke inching ever so much closer to the dark side he's wearing darker clothing now you know and he has to kind of pull himself one back glove. maybe Ray is going to inch ever so closer to the dark side and, and somehow they're going to have to kind of come back and we don't, you know, I don't know. If if we see, uh, why can't I remember the bloodthirsty little teddy bears? that uh, Ewoks. Ewoks. If we see Ewoks again in this film, we'll know it's totally, totally. I kind of hope they up. show up. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Bloodthirsty bears is a total reference to the Hoot Hoot Star Wars album, by the way. <laughs> Of a song by the same always, name. always shout out to the Hoot Hoots. All right, should we get to a little bit more yes. uh, news? Let's get to this story about Mopop, and um, their newest homegrown exhibit for Minecraft has now debuted, and we have a little bit of tape and a little bit of background as well from you. Yes, a uh, little bit of background, real quick, uh, for those who are not as up to date on Minecraft, and and you know what, I'm throwing myself in that group. Okay, not 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 played Minecraft all that much. I'm and, terrible and at it. And I'm not sure. guilty, feeling guilty about it. Uh, but it was originally developed in Sweden, released in 2011, I think, globally. I think it was around a little bit before then. Uh, best-selling video game of all time? Wow, is that right? According to Mopop, Microsoft acquired the game in 2014, little local nod. And for those who are unaware, it's like this 8-bit world. The object is basically to build things by digging them up from the earth, and you find materials... You gather tools, you add it up, turn things into metal, and you build even more things to the point where uh, what I have noticed is that people have been building like the Enterprise mm -hmm. in Minecraft yeah. or they've uh, built, uh, what, well, they'll talk about some more stuff that they've built here. But after about a year's worth of relationship building with Microsoft and other Minecraft officials, Mopop developed basically a one-of-a-kind Minecraft exposition uh, that opened up in October on October nineteenth, that weekend. So just recently. Um, hey, can the, we remind people what Mopop is really quickly? Museum of Pop Culture, formerly like the EMP and sci-fi. Formerly museum. EMP. Uh, yeah. So getting to this point, senior Mopop uh, director, uh, senior Mopop curator, I think, uh, Brooks Peck, and director of curatorial collection and exhibits, Jacob McMurray recently joined G. Scott and Aaron Mason of Cairo Knights, and despite how much crap that G always gives me, they are big friends of this podcast. Uh, so It comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of love, and they are so friendly, they have graciously allowed us to publish part of their interview that they did on Cairo Knights recently. I did edit this section for brevity, but if you want to, you can check out Cairo Knights' entire 19-minute interview with uh, Mopop. But without further ado... Brooks Peck, and Jacob McMurray. I mean, we, we got the idea a number of years ago because we realized that that Minecraft was kind of blowing up. And, and we also saw that that it was transcending, I'm already going to get a little, a little high language here, but it's transcending <laughs> yeah, it. um, normal, regular video games in that it's also this super cool sort of creative medium and, and an opportunity for creative expression. So... Uh, Jacob and I were playing also and started trying to explain it to people at the office, which was very hard to do. <laughs> Lots of head scratching at first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we, but we got everyone around and, and we formed this great relationship with, with Mojang, the studio that creates it. And, and we just wanted to kind of show the world what this is about, where it's coming from and where it's going. 
I mean, I think we're really just excited about this idea of you know showcasing Minecraft not only as a game but as this creative platform and really showing how how Minecraft has percolated so deeply into our popular culture. I mean, it's it's kind of amazing going through the exhibit when you see how many you know different TV shows and films and you know and, and people sort of you know are pulling Minecraft into what they're doing. We can't make it totally introductory and then the the deep aficionados will be like oh this is this is baby stuff right right right. but we don't want to alienate the folks who are like curious or maybe they've been pulled in by their friend who's really into minecraft so we're we're definitely walking this line where we're where we're balancing these two voices and speaking to these two audiences simultaneously that's really a a strongly recurring theme in all the work we do this exhibit like i said is one of a kind it was built in seattle for mopop they made this uh, it is an immersive experience. It has full-scale creatures. It even has the day and night cycle that Minecraft has oh, cool. in the exhibit, uh, just like the game. Uh, it, you know, like how long that that takes? I don't. I imagine while you're in there, it's gotta. Because I mean, for the amount of time a person spends in there, so let's say you take thirty minutes to walk through it or yeah. so, then you want to be able to experience. Both. Yeah, experience it. Um, the thing that they focused on there that they said was creative expression. And I really like the way they put it because they basically are are using this immersive experience to comment on how a video game has become a form of creative expression that they uh, say inspires even people to build a better world in real life. And you only have until September 2020 to see it because while it was built for Mopop, the intention is to travel this around the U.S. Mm. and perhaps even internationally as well. So opened up just now but you only have until next September to see it. Dang. Have you played Minecraft? I uh, I have played Minecraft okay. with uh, a couple of my nephews, actually. I mostly just get confused at, like, why is there a pig here? Where did this pig come right. from? And why then zombies show up. Should I attack up. the pig? Like, And then zombies show up, and then, like, <laughs> my nephews just get mad at me because I'm bad at moving around or doing anything in Minecraft, really. I, I would be terrified to play it because I guarantee what would happen is I would lose my job i wouldn't go i would it's get a great time suck into game. playing and, and doing what i want it's exactly what i think sucks people into world of warcraft for example or games like that because you're actually like making effort and building and, and and you know missions that kind of almost feel like after playing world of warcraft or minecraft you might as well have felt that you put in an eight hour day at work and went to the grocery store and then you know <laughs> called your mother just to check in and now yeah. you're just settling down for the rest of the day i feel like you're doing that again with minecraft only you're like in a virtual world but yeah yeah it I also would... uh, it's also like just culturally kind of a young game for me oh really yeah do you think there's more of a youth attraction to it yes it's like Brooks was talking about like they've been playing this thing for years. Yeah, you know? no, like the, the 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 fan base spans ages, but I just think that culturally, like the people who are, I think, responsible for what is big in Minecraft are are kids, and in that way, I think that the creative expression and like the the wonder that you still have as a youth, God, I sound so old, is is what makes the game <laughs> so exciting. You know, the youths. The did you just say youth? <laughs> The Utes. My cousin Vinny throwback. Uh, speaking of the Utes, um, <laughs> if you have a lot Hit of me. them, yeah, there is now a special package for you to go to Emerald City Comic Con. This week, 
really worried about it for a second. Emerald City Comic Con uh, announced they debuted new ticket packages, and they've never done this before. It's the first time for 2020 ticket packages for three specific fan sets. I'm going to read through mm. these um, because there's a kind of a lot that goes into them, but they've been doing a lot of stuff with tickets recently. Last year we reported on them making a deal with Light so they can resell their tickets yeah. from like their own market. Which is smart. Um, now they are debuting the Celebrity Fan Premium Ticket, $299. Yeah, you know that one will go. Family Premium for $349. I think this is, they're monitoring this. It's for two adults and four kids. Um, so you can't just get six of your friends together. <laughs> comic I fan. I mean, unless you're friends or kids. <laughs> comic Fan Premium. Aren't we all kids at heart? <laughs> I mean. That's why we're going to Emerald City Comic Con. I sound so old today. That's okay. <laughs> uh I'd say welcome to the family, but I've been sounding like I'm old since I was a teenager. I'm going like, are we all old like souls re- who are kids at heart? Read this newspaper or type on this typewriter. Um, comic fan premium. That's the final one. Two hundred and seventy-five dollars. Let me read through these real quick, and then you kind of weigh in. I just want to say that all these packages provide access to advanced ticket sales for 2021. That's how far. So if you oh. get this ticket, you get that. Celebrity fan. It's a four-day pass. You get access to a private lounge in the Hyatt Regency, seat reservations at two main stage panels, fast pass for autographs, photo ops, advanced access to celebrity autographs and photos. The family pass, you get access to a private family lounge in the convention center, reservations for access to two family activities and panels. That might actually only be one family activity and panel. I'm not sure in my notes here. $40 $40 vouchers. It says for up to two activities or panels. There you go. $40 vouchers for convention food and two 2020 ECC merch items and 10% discount at the uh, merch store. Finally, for you comic fans, for $275, you also get your four-day pass, access to another private lounge near Artist Alley, and then access to a separate queue onto the show floor. I'm not quite sure what that means. Maybe a separate line to get into the place. Uh, advanced access to any comic guest pre-sales, uh, 2020 Emerald City Comic Con poster, and 10% discount at the store. <sighs> okay, I got no, that. That's the out. that's the like the Comic Con show store is where you right get the exactly where you get like the shirt that says that. So gotcha. Never have done this before. It does initially sound like a fast pass, but a lot more. Yeah, it's got a lot going on. The more I think about it, at first I was I got I got to admit I was a little put off when I first read this because I think there's there's a sentiment or an impression that the Fast Pass has or other tickets that are like it. It's not unique to Emerald City Comic Con. This could be Rose City Comic Con, um, New York. That these kind of higher tier prices all of a sudden like that's okay, great. Now you have to be, you know, like money bags to go into any of these events that used yeah. to be for fans. Because look, celebrity fan premiums like double the cost of a four day pass, you know, to get into That's there. Significant, yeah. And you get all this other stuff, and now you're getting into special lounges. On the other hand, I kind of talked myself back from this. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because I kind of understand. Try to talk me into it. Well, I kind of. Well, I'm not buying them. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I think Emerald City Comic Con and Repop are up against is the fact that the convention center is going under a lot of. Uh, construction and stuff in general. They're they're tightly squeezed. We talked to Jim DiMonacos the first season. We're in fourth yeah. season now. The first season when he was l- kind of uh, about to leave the company, 
he said like well, we have maxed out we have no idea where else to go in seattle we we need to go to other places and since then they, i think they've done stuff at showbox maybe um mm-hmm. and uh, and like all of the celebrity stuff is over at the hyatt now it's at the, the hyatt yeah. i have a or comment not even about across that. the street like a block down um I have a comment about that in a the second. stuff at the Sheraton. Like, they're in a lot of different buildings now. Well, let's talk about that, because last year they weren't in the Sheraton. This time, last year they were in the Hyatt. That was the replacement, because mm-hmm. I heard that maybe somebody else booked something at the Sheraton during that time. Now I'm wondering if they just have a deal with the Hyatt or something like that, yeah. because the I didn't know where they were going to go this year yet, whether it was the Hyatt or Sheraton. But one of the benefits is going back to the Hyatt Regency, uh, that private lounge for the Celebrity Fan Pass is in that hotel. So we know that we're, they're at least going back yeah. there. Are they going to include the Sheraton as well? They probably or, only need one hotel, right? I don't know. that, that The convention's so big now. It is. Like, I almost feel like they would need both hotels. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing that if you're serious about going – to this convention and you want to make the most of it and you have a plan and you know that you go every year. That's who these are for. Right. Like if you're a first timer, don't get one of these. Get a day pass. Go Thursday. Get a a day pass. Go on, go on either the Thursday or the Sunday when it's not going to be as crowded and you can actually like make sense of everything that's going on and Mm -hmm. hopefully make it through a lot of the floor. But the, the thing is gigantic and you probably will only see a fraction of everything still. Yeah. This sounds to me like, they did surveys and they found out what people want. Like oh, yeah. I will pay a higher price if there is a lounge nearby that I can hang out in. I wonder in what between the lounge getting my is. celebrity stuff. It's probably it's probably just a room with like free coffee is or whatever. Is this their you know solution I mean? to the fact that you can never find a place to charge your cell phone? I think and it kind need of is. Wi Fi. Yeah. Maybe there's Wi Fi there. Who there's knows? probably Wi Fi. I mean, I don't want nice. to speculate too much on it because no. I don't know what's actually in it, but probably yeah. things along those lines though. In the same way that like exhibitors have a lounge that has basically the right. same stuff, right? It's I am I'm assuming that these lounges are not going to be particularly fancy or upscale. Like it's just a place for you to get a step away from the noise for a little bit, right. And do whatever recuperation you need to do before you get in your next line. Which if you do the celebrity one, for example, you get like that fast pass type deal. Yeah, I don't know what that means yet, but th- this sounds like really targeted packages for things that people have been demanding right because i i have i know some people who go with their kids every year and they're like i would i would pay more to make it just a little bit easier to take my kids to this thing and if that meant having a a dedicated room like food vouchers already so that you can just be like this is where we're eating this is everything has has a plan already this is what we're doing while we're there Mm -hmm. it makes it that much easier when you're carting around kids and stuff i think the other side of this too is that the larger a convention like this gets the more expensive it is to yeah. put it on at the same time like everything else in Seattle like space is limited so i almost feel like this is another way for them to kind of you know squeeze out a few more extra bucks to throw this on because at this point we we got to be getting near if not past 100,000 attendees we were in the 90,000 yeah, range i was going to say I what's think, over the last few years yeah so it, it it's getting I would say at capacity, but it keeps growing. You know, that's why I kind of say I don't know how the Sheraton and the yeah. and the Hyatt um, at the same time, and then go to the Northwest Nerd After Party that will probably happen this year. <laughs> but they they uh, TBD. Yeah, they uh, they. I feel like they they're trying to find little nooks and crannies where they can kind of make it work financially and still afford to get 
you know, their usual cast of celebrities and comic talent and get everybody to, you know, attend this thing beyond 100,000 people. That, that, yeah. that That's astonishing to me that they get that many people. Here's what I don't want to see happen to this con, which is one of my favorite conventions to go to, is I saw a lot of people complaining about TwitchCon this year and they're kind of being two different cons going on, one for the plebeians and the unconnecteds who mm-hmm. maybe bought a day pass, a weekend pass, whatever, and could walk the floor and go to the the things that everyone can go to. And then another convention going on behind whatever cordons, whatever doors, where there were different lounges and different yeah. meetups and panels and things like that that were for another crowd of people to go to. It's almost like the I, stereotypical club you go to where yeah. like there's that like rope that you're the like, VIP. oh no, this is the real VIP room yeah. in the back of the VIP room. I really don't want to see this type of like premium package morph into that type of thing. Like have, have your yeah. lounge, that's fine. Like if you if you want to pay a little bit more to have a separate space where you can chill out with your family right. and like take a rest, cool. But what I don't want to see is like additional meetups, additional like fan stuff right. going on for a higher ticket. Like if price. you pay this much, that goes against the spirit of the convention, you know? right? And then your lounge will actually just be like Nathan in Fillion is in Patrick your Stewart's or dressing room. Yeah, exactly. Or something, right? like, do do not <laughs> yeah. do that. Not cool. Patrick Sir Patrick will hate that. He, yeah, there's no way he's doing that. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't I know. Thought... You buy him enough strongbow. I don't know. That's very. <laughs> Good reference. You're one of the few people who knows that he does endorsements for them. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's I think it's it's I I like watching Emerald City Comic Con because I think at least in the Northwest they're leading the pack as far as conventions go. Yeah, uh, we biggest. have so many here that uh, and very few large ones that go up to that scale. So I feel like everybody kind of looks at what they do. It'll be very interesting to see how something like this plays out on a trend level. You know, well. One year, maybe we see Renton City Comic Con having special family, you know, lounges or something like that. Um, but yeah, I am. Uh, I guess I'm going to say I'm excited about it. I'm going to choose to be excited about it. You know what I'm actually excited for? Okay, is our recommendations this week? Let's because get to them. I have a doozy. And part part of what I wanted to do with the recommendations segment each magazine episode is that. I didn't want it to be necessarily tied to the news and the the news cycle of things, mm-hmm. but my recommendation this week only has one episode out, and it premiered on Sunday, so, so it's easy. It's it's kind of newsy this time. Uh, Watchmen on HBO, mm. intense, such an intense show. Like the the first episode, I I don't remember breathing during it. It it is completely arresting. It is you're dropped into this world. And you're expected to figure things out. I was, I had to do a quick recap of what happens in the graphic novel because I remember the movie ending is different than the comic book ending, and right. they go with the comic book ending for this show. So, so it was good that I talked that through. Okay, wait. So explain that to me real quick. I have not seen this show. Are yeah. you? Are you? I would assume that the show would go along with what the comic is. But are you telling me this happens after the actual comic? This happens after the events of the comic book, like oh. a couple decades later, like around 30 years. I can't remember the exact number. Okay. Yeah. So you see some familiar faces, and it's a bit of a reveal, so I won't tell you who those familiar faces mm-hmm. are. I want to keep this spoiler-free for people, but it's on HBO, so you know it's going to be gritty and like some realism and some violence. There's a lot of realistic violence and some pretty troubling images, especially in like the first five minutes, which... Have actually, uh, the, so the first five minutes or so 
take place during an actual event from American history. Uh, 19, in 1921, there was a racial racist massacre in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, where white residents of the town and the surrounding area killed hundreds of black people who lived in and around what was then known as Black Wall Street. There were like 10,000 black people in this city in the neighborhood of Greenwood that was just an example of black excellence and something that was suppressed uh, in history classes and suppressed in official records even until even like a couple decades ago. Uh, they weren't even teaching it in uh, Oklahoma schools. So this is an event that a lot of people are ignorant of. So part of the fallout of this first episode has been a lot of people getting educated on this real life event that happened in America's history and then seeing where the creators of the Watchmen TV show are then going to take so to say, that real take past that? into their fictional present because the show takes place in 2019 right. in the Watchmen universe. But the real 1921 happened. Right. This is a hundred years later fiction. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's there's one character who's still around from the events of the first five minutes. Really? Okay. And I am just intensely interested to see what they do with that. The the big the biggest thing about this show to me, um, two things. One, Regina King is the lead and she's a badass and seeing her fight people and like get suited up, she's a superhero in this. I think People have seen like the promotional images of her. I am so unbelievably excited about that and just the the number of inversions and subversions of all kinds of tropes throughout this first episode, mostly being driven by the fact that the lead is a black woman. That's amazing. Number two, the show gets at a lot of really big ideas, especially in regards to American history. And I, I have some faith that it'll pay off, but I, I'm mostly just excited at how the story is being told and where it can go rather than whether or not things are actually going to pay off because this is a Damon Lindelof show. He did Lost. He did The Leftovers. One of those shows has a much better reputation for ending in a satisfying way than the other one. <laughs> so hopefully he has learned enough lessons by doing both of those shows that this tracks and has a satisfying arc over this first season and beyond because the buzz is amazing, so I'm sure they're going to get a second season if they want to do it. And I say get on this train now. The show is really good. You do need a palate cleanser for afterwards because you're going to feel like you just went through something. But the show is really good. It's it's storytelling on an amazing level and the most exciting thing on TV right now for me. One more thing that I really find refreshing about this show is that it's not a prequel it's not a reboot. It takes place in the same universe as the original story, but just takes it into the future and imagines what could have happened afterwards. I think that there's not enough of that going on uh, with like all of the the reboots and the returns to old IP and things like that. Like the only other example that I could think of off the top of my head was this Star Wars trilogy that we're about to see the ending of. Mm. And even that one didn't really take the format in very exciting or new places like the last Jedi kind of did. But for the most part, like you said, it's been a retread of the original trilogy, but with new effects and new spectacles. I'm excited to see what this can do working in the same universe, but following it, following it in such a way that respects things that happen in history. Like something from, 
30 years ago doesn't have the same meaning now that it did back then. Uh, just just to pull something out, like uh, like the phrase greed is good, for example. Mm-hmm. Like towards the end of the 80s there, you had the Gordon Gecko character come along and suddenly like this movie that was supposed to be a satire, people started taking seriously. And now when you hear that phrase, it people mean that. Yeah. Like greed is good. You're talking about Wall Street, right? Yeah, I'm talking oh, about Wall okay. Street. Um, so I'm excited to see, because they do something with Rorschach and what happens to the symbolism of that character as the decades go by. I'm excited to see how people react to that and what happens with what they do with that character as this season goes on. Because it's, I think a lot of people are going to be upset about it and a lot of people are going to be, are going to see that and think, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Because you have people who have co-opted like the Punisher symbols, for example. Yeah. And uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense what they're doing in this movie. And it feels like Damon Lindoff spent a lot of time thinking through what would a future in this world actually look like. And in that way, I think that it's a it's basically a, a really good sci-fi, which leads us into your recommendation. Well, I only have one recommendation uh, for this week. And it's also something that was released, though you can watch all of it right now. And there's only like eight or nine episodes. So I don't feel too bad for getting through it all already. (laughs) Living With Yourself was not what I expected it to be. It's on Netflix. And it is about, it's a sci-fi in the sense that cloning is involved. But it's really about using that kind of plot device as a means to talk about and do a bunch of other exploratory with I don't, I'm going to try to say this most polite way, depression, but also just kind of like how we like live with ourselves in a modern world and what do we do with ourselves, especially in, you know, just the idea that you have to move to the suburbs and, and people that have to go through like marital issues and, you know, should they get counseling or not? Things like that, that you don't really expect to see in a lot of sci-fi films, uh, stuff outside of Star Trek maybe, but like, yeah, sci-fi little plot device but then you go into all this other stuff about you know why is this person and his wife uh they're you know why are they dealing with the issues that they're actually dealing with are they dealing with depression or is this just a relationship going its course and you know he also has really bad time at work you know i've seen people i think we've all i've seen people that experience this i think we've all experienced this to some degree ourselves you know like that that one part of your life where all of a sudden you do just want to go home and not do anything and just eat something really bad and just lay on the couch, maybe cry a little bit, and then just go to sleep, right? And then, like, I feel like that's something a lot of people can relate to, whether they admit to it or not. And this show kind of goes into it. And it does it with a sense of humor that I find appropriate. Like, it is very funny... Uh, at least I think it'll be funny to people with my perverse sense of humor, but it's not going to be as funny to like everybody kind of like maybe like the big Lebowski or something, but like it is very funny, uh, in its own way with, uh, I don't know, find a way to talk about cloning and, and all this other stuff. But yeah, anyway, I trailed off there down the rabbit hole, but, and this is starring Paul Rudd, Paul, Paul Rudd, uh, also produced by him and they started making this thing or at least started starting to get the wheels turning like 2017, Oh wow! So it's been a it's been a while in production, and I think they've just been kind of putting together on the side, you know, as they can. Um, initially, I think it was supposed to be for another channel, but eventually, 
whatever happens in Hollywood and Netflix ends up picking it up. Yeah. So give me give me a little bit of the of the setup. Like you said that there's cloning involved. It, Paul Rudd is the one being cloned, I'm assuming. So a lot more happens in this, and this is about what you're going to get in the trailer. So I'm going to give you a little cliff notes of the trailer here because I want you to actually watch the whole thing. But Paul Rudd is a guy, works at an advertising agency. Uh, his wife and him live out in the suburbs. Uh, she's a, an architect and has her own kind of gig going on. And in their separate lives, they're kind of just, eh, you know, like things have kind of hit a rut. They wanted to have children and they had issues there. Um, and so that's another depressing factor. Paul Rudd is clearly just depressed. He's not doing well at work. He's practically annoyed his bosses to the point where he's probably going to get fired. And he doesn't know what to do. He's like, my life sucks. I'm like, I'm sad. I don't know why I'm just down in a rut so much. And his coworker- Is Paul Rutt? He's like, Paul Rutt. I like that quite a bit. Uh, his coworker has been coming to work feeling like refreshed and really feeling really good and tells him like, yeah, I was, I was experiencing the same thing. Like, I didn't know why I just felt so bad about stuff all the time. I felt like just unenthusiastic and I felt just like I didn't care much anymore until I went to this spa. And you can only go to the spa if you've been referred by a friend. So he decides to go to this spa, uh, which is a little alarming at first. And then he goes in and they talk about like their patented process will make you feel like 110% your best person, you know, and they go through a process. Long story short, obviously what they're doing here is cloning you and not telling but what's supposed to happen is your clone ends up being the better person of, they take your DNA and that's the better you. They take all the DNA and they make the best DNA come out so that you're a happier person, a better person, more efficient person, more focused and tuned in. And then the old you, they deactivate. And you can kind of guess what oh, that deactivate. means. deactivate. <laughs> yeah, they deactivate. Only the deactivation didn't work quite right. And so now there's two characters running around that one's a clone and one's the original that's not supposed to be around anymore. And that kind of sparks a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of questions about like, here's this guy being awesome, but he's still me with all my memories. So what's, why am I not feeling that awesome? And this guy's wondering, why do I not feel bad? Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool things that go on in this show. I feel like I've already said too much. That's just no, the first step. I mean, that's, that's a first episode out of many and it gets way cool from there. I'm excited to watch this one. This is a this is a good recommendation for me. You said it had sci-fi elements. That just sounds like a straight sci-fi to me. Like sci-fi yeah. is, uh, it takes reality, tweaks it a little bit, yeah, probably with something explainable with science, and yeah. then tells a story in some way using that device to do all of the exactly. things that you talked about. Yeah, and randomly Tom Brady shows up, but that's <laughs> it doesn't I give mean, it away. Not necessarily appealing for me, <laughs> but hopefully it's funny. <laughs> That is all for today's episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. Go follow us on social media. Just search on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook for NW Nerd. Tell your friends about us. Shout out to the Hoot Hoots for our theme music. And thank you also to Kevin McLeod for the music and Dyer's feature this week, which was co-produced by our associate producer, Brandon Haddock. So big props to him this week. Coming up next week is a Spotlight episode. We'll celebrate Halloween a little bit more with a guest from Z Nation and our full interview with comic book artist Blackie Shepard, best known for his work in horror. That's all coming up next week, so we will see you then, you nerds.
supposedly they got the voice of a child saying, I'm trying to catch him. 